Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. I'm Brenna Nath, HW Plus Managing Editor here at Housing Wire. With the latest installment of the Housing Wire Daily podcast, where our editors and reporters discuss the most compelling stories and sources that they're covering. I'm stepping in today for our editor in chief, Sarah Wheeler, as she is on PTO. Today, my guest is Housing Wire senior mortgage reporter Bill Conroy to talk about some of the most recent HW Plus stories that he's written. But before we dive in, here is a word from our sponsor. TMS is out to grow happiness for you and your customers. From the way they pick up the phone to the innovative, intuitive technology that makes things easier for you and your customers, TMS is all about providing the best experience in the industry. It's why they've grown to one of the top 10 in the nation and why they've earned a 98% customer satisfaction rate. Partner with TMS and see for yourself at subservicing.themoneysource.com. Bill, welcome to the podcast. Uh, welcome. How are you doing? Not too bad. And I think I can't not say happy happy birthday to you real fast before we jump in. I think we have a birthday around the corner. Oh, thanks for reminding me. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've lost track. So, but I but I'll try to enjoy it. Thank you. Yeah, well, let's dive in. As you celebrate, you're also cranking out some great articles on the secondary market. Let's start by unpacking your first and your most recent article that you've written on Unison titled Home Equity Investment Pioneer Unison Taps the Secondary Market. So can you explain what first what Unison does and how the fintech company is structured differently? I think our audience members kind of use that foundation point. Yeah, I mean, Unison does describe itself as a fintech, and that's essentially because they operated a platform where um, you know home buyers can access all the information they need to to work through what they call uh, residential equity agreements and it's a broad category of of a piece of a mortgage if you will that's called like a shared equity investment where the home buyer um, brings on someone like unison there's some other players in the market and they uh, essentially advance the homeowner an investment. It's not a loan um, in exchange for um, you know a, a percentage of you know, of the property. Essentially, kind of they get a lien on the property, and then um, Unison will share in the uh, upside of the appreciation. That's how they make their money. Um, and also on the downside, if the home happens to go down in value, they'll they'll end up you know in a a partnership situation with the homeowner where they'll get less back from the appreciation. It's it's com- it's complicated in terms of the actual formulas and numbers. So, um, like in the case of Unison, it'll be they'll take twenty to seventy percent of the appreciation, depending on uh, the amount that they had originally advanced. Um, and from from there, basically, they they've taken these equity slices and securitized them and sold them to bondholders. So in the case of Unison, it was a four, they just undertook, you know, late December is when it closed. So $443 million private label offering, essentially backed by these uh, shared home equity assets. 
And they, they're planning to do at least, uh, according, according to the execs, as I talked, there are three additional uh, deals in 2022. So it is a, it is a growing market, um, but it's really kind of novel and new. Uh, another deal went down last year involving uh, Redwood Trust, which is a, a big player in, in the private label market. Um, they partnered with another fintech called Point. Uh, and they did a $146 million securitization backed by the same assets. Now, Point and Unison kind of approached the shared equity contracts a little differently. They're just set up a little differently. Um, but they're essentially the same concept that, uh, you know, if you've got $200,000 in equity, then in, like in the case of Unison, they'll lend you uh, up to 17.5% of the value of your home um, and take a 70% cut on the appreciation when you sell or refinance or buy out the contract, you know, and those uh, assets keep, you know, are, I guess as the contracts get bought out, you know, they generate income and that's really what they're securitizing. Any asset can be securitized. Um, and they figure 15 to 20% of these contracts roll over a year and that's the cash flow for the bond payments. And if they get more, they pay down the bonds. Um, I hope it's not too complicated, but it took me a while to get my head around it. But, it, you know, it, it makes sense and it all works, um, I guess, as long as appreciation and, and home values keep going up. It's it's a no brainer where where this market is so new is no you know, we haven't seen it stress test tested to, to, to the degree maybe that some people would want. Although it's it seems like uh, you know like Unison's been around a while, they've been doing this even through some rough patches in the market. So they they I think they have the product pretty well developed. But the question is rating, and so far these bond issues haven't been you know rated by a major rating agency like Fitch or Moody's and so forth, or or K uh, Crow Bond Rating Agency. But Unison is working with a couple rating agencies. They're trying to figure out you know how to rate these securities because uh, they're so new and they're, they're hoping by the end of the year, their last issue, at least they'll, they'll actually have a bond rating. Um, as far as the point Redwood partnership, they were talking about doing more in this year as well, but uh, Redwood's going into its earnings calls. Uh, I think it's Wednesday. They have an earnings release. And so they couldn't really comment for the story because of course this market is regulated and you know, you can't really, you know, hype your, your, your bond issues or some re regulatory issues around how you do that anyway. And so they just, I think, preferred not to comment, but I fully expect they'll be back. They sounded like that when I talked to them last time back in the market this year, if, you know, assuming the conditions are right. And it, they seem to be appreciation on home values continues to go up. I mean, there's like $24 trillion in wealth that's, you know, locked up in, in uh, you know, home equity. So there's a lot, there's a, it's a big market to tap. Um, over over the course of the next you know few you know how many years that takes and and the the securitization essentially allows them to put the money back into making new uh, investments and at least in Unison's case what they want to do is not just you know sweep away the profits on it they actually want to try to lower the cost of their uh, shared equity agreements which they call residential equity agreements so that they're a little better uh, deal for the home buyer and they'll get you know ideally build the business more that way and the bondholders will still get their payment so as they say you know everybody's happy
That's the scoop on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, talk about new. And you you mentioned in there that you know the this is new in the rating agency world. There's nothing like it out there around these types of offerings. Knowing that that's the current state of ratings, what is the appetite around these offerings? What is the interest? What are some of the initial feedback that you've been hearing? Because I mean, obviously the the point deal went through last year. You mentioned it was um, you know they called it a first of its kind securitization deal. Now you have Unison coming in on this market. So what does the appetite look like, especially given that those ratings are still being worked on? Well, I mean, yeah, the performance of the bonds, that takes time. So we can't really, you know, say how they're going to they're going to pay out um, over over the course of their life. But, you know, the 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 issues are selling. So clearly there's an appetite. And and right now, uh, kind of mortgage backed. These aren't technically mortgage backed. They're they're kind of. A hybrid, but given the state of the housing market, um, particularly with the value of housing, they're fairly safe investments when you put them up against some other stuff you could look at in the market that's a little more volatile or unpredictable. Um, you know, but they haven't, like I said, in, in general, uh, if, if the private label market was about sixty percent of the entire you know mortgage backed securities market. Back before the crash, like right, 2006 in that era, um, and then after the housing crash, you know, it just it was decimated. And a lot of some of the problem was from the from those bond issues. You know, that's that was the subprime era, and a lot of those things went through private label issuance. So now it's only it's just getting back to about five percent. You know, the, the the agencies are are essentially a monopoly now. It's kind of completely <laughs> changed the dynamic. So we're seeing, you know, uh, kind of more issues both on the mortgage-backed security side and on some of these hybrid-type slices of, you know, um, uh, of, of the mortgage products, if you will. Um, and, you know, the, the and even though these haven't been rated yet, my, my sense is eventually, you know, some of these rating agencies will figure out how to actually rate them so when investors are buying them, They'll have a better idea of what they're getting, but right now they're really getting you know bought up by institutional investors, right? The bonds for the most part, and they're pretty sophisticated um, investors. So it's not like these are you know selling to mom and pop on the street and so forth. You know, at this point, um, the best I can tell, most of this is getting bought up by you know pension funds, insurance companies, and actually the money that Unison is getting to make the loans, it, 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 you know, to make the investments. Excuse me, they're not loans. Is coming from institutional players because they basically have funds set up where institutional players will invest the money and then they'll use that to to make a mortgage contract or shared equity investment uh, um, contracts. And then, you know, the circle is completed when they then securitize those and sell them to other institutional investors and then, the, you know, replenish the fund to make more, uh, uh, do more business, if you will. I can't answer your question, which I, you know, I sound like I'm dodging it, but I don't know. I don't think anyone knows um, how well these are ultimately perform, you know, until there's some time on them. But, you know, right now, given the fact that there's two of the major players in the market that have, you know, securitized, figured a way to securitize these investment contracts, I, I think it's a good bet we're going to see more. Um, and, you know, in general, I think the private label market is growing. Um, it has been. 
Um, and, and it's probably a good thing as a, a counterweight to the agency side. Uh, you know, more competition is usually better, not worse. And as long as, uh, you know, you know, people will talk about everything starts at the, at the, you know, the ground level, if you will. So if these, these investment contracts are being done right, and there's, a, a, you know, taking into account the risk, you know, downside risk and the upside uh, potential, I mean, there's no reason they really sh- they shouldn't work, right? Because um, even if people lose their homes now with the appreciation, uh, technic- hopefully they don't lose their homes, but they have enough equity in their houses that you know they're not going to lose money. And the these these in the case of Unison, they have a lien, a second lien position on the property. So there's really um, you, you hope you don't go through another mess like we did in, uh, um, uh, earlier in the 2000s. You, I mean, nobody wants to see that. And I don't think lightning strikes twice in the same place anyway, in, in my experience covering business. Um, it'll be a new problem we have, not the one we had before. But that's what I can say about it. I, th- I think it's, it's uh, yeah, it's a new product. You know, do your homework on it, both of you using it, or if you <laughs> get in the market for buying bonds, um, you know, just, you know, uh, and yeah, I would say later this year, we'll have a better idea once the rating agencies do start, you know, taking a harder look at these, we'll have a better idea of what the, you know, uh, to, to parse the risk a lot better than, than I can, certainly from this point of view. Now, you and I joked about right before getting on this podcast about how broad the secondary market could be and kind of the mortgage alphabet soup that goes into it. So outside of this new offering that we just unpacked, you're also covering the secondary market when it comes to mortgage servicing rights, which also has had a lot of action in it starting off 2022. So wanted to switch gears onto another article that you recently published. It's titled Rising Interest Rates Trigger an Exuberant MSR Market. In that piece, you quote Denver-based Insider's managing director, Tom Piercy, as he kind of talks about how non-banks um, and mortgage originators have been stockpiling these MSR assets over the past two years, holding them onto their balance sheets and waiting for the right moment. And right now, you know, as we head into 2022, it appears that this is that right moment. And so through that, that article, you unpack just how hot and um, how many sales are going on in the MSR market right now, the mortgage servicing right market. So let's kind of switch gears here and going from Unison to the, the servicing side of the industry when it comes to the secondary market. Why have these companies been waiting? How is this environment better today? Can you kind of kind of talk about that some? Well, yeah, I think um, the best I understood it in talking to the folks in the market, and, and this one, you know, uh, InCenter did share some pretty specific information. So it made the, the story possible to kind of get into the weeds on a little. Um, just in their case, they did, uh, uh, based on MSR sales, which are bulk sales, they do their Ginny, Fannie, and Freddie servicing rights, right? And those can be kind of sold separately. They're a, they're a strip of the interest rate. You know, a very small percentage of the interest rate on a mortgage goes to servicing. And that's where the income stream is. Um, and they they'll they'll sell for like a you know a, a multiple or a, a, the price basically is what's complicated. But in the, in the case of uh, what happened in January, um, over the course of the well, let me go back. W- w- the reason they were stockpiling these is at the start of the pandemic. I think it was March April when we had that big market freeze, and then the you know of course the Fed's stepped in and since then has artificially more or less kept rates 
at you know pretty low, right? And they're from their point of view, they're, they're at zero at the window, but you know they've been three sub three for for a couple of years. <laughs> it's just unheard of, right? People forget. In the, I mean, I was around. Remember in the seventies when they're in you know old enough in the double digits, right? So this is a remarkably low interest rate environment, and so the uh, lenders were you know um, that were either you know issuing uh, for the agencies and retaining the servicing rights basically didn't see the point in selling these. These were decent assets to have on your balance sheet if you could manage them. Um, and uh, th the price wasn't right because the interest rate environment was so low. They weren't going to get what they wanted, what they thought these MSRs were right if they traded them or sold them. Um, and what happened in January uh, is the interest rates, you know, literally during the course of that month ticked up like a half a point, Right. And every time the interest rate goes up, that actually rising interest rates increase the values of the of the mortgage servicing rights um, because it decreases prepayments. So if you got um, uh, you know something at three one and the mortgage rates suddenly go to three five, all those MSIs locked in at three one are not likely to refinance at three five, right? So they're going to pay out through the course of the contract. And that means they have a higher yield and they have more value. So the the multiples during the course of the month, as interest rates just ticked up that little bit, kept going up to a point where, um, you know, one of the biggest sales, at least that InCenter had, the multiple, uh, you know, they, they went from like three to five. And what that means in English essentially is, you know, the price for uh, 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 one of their sales was a $23.7 billion uh portfolio mortgage servicing rights and the price on it was 125 basis points which means they got 1.25% of the total of that of that 23.7 billion was a sales price and you do the math on that those are big numbers um, and that's that's why a lot of these uh, mortgage servicing rights were moving in January, and they and you know talking to at least in center and, uh, and and a few other folks in the market that that deal with this, they expect this to continue now, especially with the Fed taking a hawkish position on rates. They they in in their you know it is psychological, but it's also real because the rates are going to tick up. They think at least through the second quarter we're going to be in a in a good environment for 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 for. Uh, selling these assets um we'll see but that that's kind of the story behind it it's and it's one of these markets like for example uh in center said they did like what was it 113 um billion that's the value of the the, the portfolio not the price they got but uh, 113 billion in 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 sales in in based on principal balance in january alone that's usually I mean, they they said over the course of a year they usually do 100 to 125 billion so they basically did in one month what they normally do in a year. And and I think from what I've gathered, my little knowledge of the um, uh, MSR market is it's 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 definitely kind of a waiting game. You know, you struggle, you struggle, you struggle, and suddenly, you know, you know, the the sky opens up and all the manna from heaven falls. Um, you know, and so you you know, I, I, I think and I, I don't know how many other industries are like that, but but this one definitely, you know, is I think you do have to hustle when it's slow and when it's hot, you just got to be ready to deal with it because it's going to come your way if you're in the market and you know what you're doing. Uh, I think that was the case with InCenter. And, um, you know, there's mortgage capital trading also uh, was seeing, you know, talking to those folks or another dealer with MSRs uh, also was seeing, you know, 
a volume uptick in in uh so i'll keep my eye on it and see where it heads but uh they they expect it to stay hot for a while um and of course everything that's good for one in sector of the industry can can change or be a a drawback for another because as interest rates rise that kind of changes the dynamic of the market overall and, and refis drop off right and refis dropping off is good for msrs but it's not necessarily good for originators who for you know at least the last couple of years had all this low hanging fruit you know to generate a lot of mortgage volume and that's going to switch around um at least that's what the experts are saying and is rates rise we're going to it's going to require more underwriting expertise to get you know increased volume because you're going to be on a purchase side uh, going forward here for a while, uh, refis will still be there to a degree, but it's the, the it's just going to switch around. If it was seventy thirty refi, now it's you know seventy thirty purchase, right? And so that that dynamic is rippling through the market right now. You know, it's causing layoffs in some circles and hirings and other. I'm working on a story now where they're going to double the size of their um, retail network to because they're in the non QM sector of the business, right? So. I kind of went on a tangent there, but that that's there is a relationship between the mortgage servicing rights market and the and the origination market, and um, you know, it, it, like so many things in the housing industry, uh, interest rates you know are really a, a major north star for what's happening and what will happen. So there is clearly, I mean, in, in everything that you just kind of detailed, it's a strong appetite for people when it comes to MSR sales and portfolios who are, it'd be great to know who are the top players in this space right now? Who are the people who are maybe either giving the portfolios or selling or even the people who are buying? Who are the top players in that well, area? Right now, I don't have a picture on who was, you know, because uh, even in sir, they don't like to discuss because they work on the buy and sell side. They're not going to tell me the names of specific clients, but data I've got from Recursion, which is a, a mortgage data analyst firm that they shared some of their data. Um, we did a prior story, and this is before the, the big, this is when the stockpiling more or less was going on. And, and depending how you want to cut the market, right, no matter who you're looking at, one of the biggest players in a, or has been the biggest players in the MSR market um, has been Freedom Mortgage, right? And, you know, they're looking, there's Ginny May, they're, they're, they're one of the major players on that side and in all agency purchases. And I can break out the numbers, but some of the other major players were like Penny Mac, Lakeview Loan Servicing, Wells Fargo as a bank was in there, Quicken Loans, Caliber. Um, so some of the you know names you would expect, um, you know, other players, Mr. Cooper, which was formerly Nation Star, and Carrington Mortgage Services. So if you if you check out if you if you, if you can, uh, we did a story called Freedom Mortgage Dominates the MSR Market, and it talks about. Uh, who the major players were based on uh, the data we got from recursion. And it, you know, slices and dices it across the different agency sectors. But uh, clearly, uh, Freedom was a was a huge stockpiler. Now, I don't know if they're one of the major sellers right now. I just don't know. I, I would imagine they might have. They might have cashed in. But that's one of the things I want to track with the data going forward. And I, unfortunately, a lot of the data I get is trailing what's actually happening in the market right now. So, I, you know, that's just the way it works. So we'll know in a month or two. I, I'm pretty sure um, I'm actually looking at the the, the um, January figures right now in terms of who the uh, big purchasers um, uh, or at least issuers of Ginny May securities were. But it, it, I will be able to get the data on, 
you know, who is purchasing and selling anyway. And that's an, a month or so off, I think. Unless somebody, unless somebody out there leaks me the information, you know, you know, I might get a lucky break and someone will say, Hey, here, <laughs> we got it. But right now I'm working, working on the, on the, on the data that I have, which is coming from the agencies, but it has to be crunched by, by people with far more statistical expertise than I have. Well, I'd like to also say we always uh, accept open new sources tips that people have. And um, I'd be remiss not to say if anyone wants to follow Bill's latest coverage. I mean, he does some deep dives, as you've noticed in this podcast, when it comes to um, MSR market, the portfolio, RMBS, there's a lot of deep dives that you've been doing. You can catch Bill's stories regularly on Housing Wire about at least three times a week on these different dives. So I think you've touched during this podcast interview a couple areas that to come where people are hiring right now. Also, what happens when we get the latest data, How um, who is selling, who is buying, how these portfolios are going into New Year. Because if anything, your coverage shows that 2022 started off with a very busy market, which means there's a lot for you to cover. Yeah, yeah. And, and it is. And I'm just curious to see how it progresses because it it's, it you know, People, people are predicting that uh, we're going to see a huge non-QM year, um, like double what we saw last year, and and some will say even more. Um, and there's signs that that switch, that move toward purchase and non-QM is happening. And all non, non-QM is, you know, after a huge slice of borrowers out there, right? The gig economy is self-employed. The people that don't have W-2, uh, you know, uh, earnings, wage, they're not salaried employees, which most of those will go the agency route if, if the loan limits are right and, and, and uh, you know, uh, through the banks, uh, which are much more, you know, mainstream in the type of loans they'll do just because of capital ratios they got to maintain and so forth. But in the non-bank sector is where the non-QM growth will happen. And that's kind of what I'm watching out for now is all you know, the players. In fact, I'll have a story this week on one of those players and i'm interviewing another one next week so that's i tend to try to listen to the experts as to where to look and then i go look and try to get people to talk about you know what what is happening uh versus the expectations so it's not rocket science on my part i got to depend on people that actually know what what the market is what it's doing and then frankly i learn something every time i write a story because i'm a journalist i'm not I'm, i'm not a market maker just people understand that Well, it's always great to hear your information as you kind of break down everything that's happening. Bill, thank you so much for joining us on Housing Wire Daily today. All right. It was fun. Take care. Looking for more insight into what will happen in 2022? Or maybe you need more information on what in the world is happening with the federal regulators. Or you could just be looking for information on how to stay competitive as the industry shifts to a purchase-focused market. Our HW Plus Premium Membership comes with all of this insight and more. With your HW Plus Membership, you'll get at least five HW Plus articles a week that dive deeper into the daily news to help you confidently make business decisions. To join, go to housingwarrant.com forward slash membership. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.